the writing process has never for me been the solitary kind of Charlie Kaufman-esque you know, like he's written thing where it's like, yes, I'm writing it and this is it, it's perfect now. And Other people can have these expectations of you, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's who, what you want to do is what you're going to do. And what makes you happy is the most important thing. Uh, stuff happens, you, you get there and you're like, oh, crikey, this does not work at all. We thought it would work. Um, and it doesn't, and you make a plan. That was part of the joy. Is like I had, I had such a such a strong couple of collaborators there, and everyone was just like, jump in, do stuff. Hey everyone and welcome back to Department Spotlight, which is the show where we speak to our friends and colleagues about their experiences in the film industry. So today we are talking with Peter Duplessis. Very exciting, very excited to have you here. Thanks for coming through. It's a pleasure. And it's the first time that we have a guest in person since like January last year. So, because <laughs> of the whole... Yeah, still trying to keep the distance, but uh, thanks so much for coming through. It's going to be very cool. Leading on from talking about the pandemic, <laughs> um, the first thing that Yaku told me about your your work is that you made a feature film, shot in 2019, and then a thing happened, <laughs> and then you were, hmm, what was that thing? Did something happen last year? And then you were unable to release it. So speak about maybe what was that process like of birthing something and then having it stop as it <laughs> Yeah, so so I made a feature for. Uh it's obviously it's it's the kind of thing that you always you sort of work up to over years. It never just happens overnight. So you do this and you're like, yes! I've made it. Yeah, it's great. It got selected to close the Durban International Film Festival and then COVID happened and there was no festival to speak of. It was all online. You know, all the all the, the cool bits about going into a cinema and mm. watching your movie in a, on yeah. a big screen and stuff was just not there anymore. And meeting um, people. I guess. And meeting people, you know. So there's a lot of stuff that, that would have been real nice to have that just didn't happen. Mm. Um, obviously cinemas also were like closed and are struggling and business rescue and stuff now which all obviously makes you know, the prospects of selling your film quite difficult yeah. um, so it's it's this wonderful thing about like yes I made a movie and it just goes oh oh okay well <laughs> yeah like, okay, well, I, made I made a movie, a movie <laughs> I guess I mean let's let's bring it back a little bit um, tell us about your film or what you can't because obviously it's not out yet like you just said so there's a lot of stuff that's still like secretive or whatever but uh, maybe tell us a little bit just what the film's about and um, what inspired it when did you start the process so i started the process years and years and years ago um it actually started with me and the guy who edited the the film uh, uh, leon gerber uh, we were we were chatting about ideas for the Kijknet Silverskarm fears. We, right. we wanted we wanted to make we we're just like okay let's just do ideas. So it was me him and his sister um, chatting about um, ideas for Silverskarm movies. And we we had lunch. And we came up with like five. One of them being the Last Afrikaners, uh, which is this post-apocalyptic thing, and it's this this dad and this girl, and they they just want to find their people. You know, it's about oh, okay. like nationalism and tribalism and stuff. Yeah. And they're just like, no, 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 no. You know, everything's, everything's gone to hell, but we need to find our people. 
And then they find their people. They find like Afrikaans people in the desert. But yeah. then it turns out that these are really crappy people. And, and that, that, that was sort of the genesis of it. So, so the, whole, the movie's about this young woman who arrives with her, with her wounded dad um, on this farm. And they get taken in by this family. And, but, but very soon the family starts going like, hey, but don't you want to stay? Don't you okay. want to maybe marry our son? Oh, and, and the way everything sort of conspires to sort of act against what she wants to do with her life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a slow burn tension thriller. It's post-apocalyptic slow burn tension thriller. It, and it's, it's, it's mostly about like how societal structures and, and all the little social minutiae around between people sort of keep us in boxes and, yeah. and push us towards decisions that we would not necessarily otherwise make. Mm. It's very interesting that you did a post-apocalyptic movie that then was supposed to come out in 2020. And, and it comes out in the apocalypse, right? I mean... <laughs> that's pretty crazy okay so you had this idea for the silver skyrim fierce which if anybody international people don't know it's a big festival in south africa where cakenet which is the biggest afrikaans tv channel they basically fund a bunch of short films so you went from that idea how did you make it into a feature like did you get into silver skyrim what was the process oh i did not get into silver skyrim with that did I come and get in before or after? I think I actually did make one before. I made one called Arts, a short film called, called Arts okay. um, for, for Silver Skyrim Fierce. Yeah, I, I think that might have been us being like, okay, okay, I've already made one. We, let's see if we can make another one. And I just okay. won't direct that one because you can't oh, okay. direct it twice. Yeah. So the idea was, I think, that I would produce more. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm terrible with timelines, so so this tends to tends to blur into each other. I I have no idea whether this was before or after arts, but so the point was I'd made arts and uh, I had decided that I I'd written a couple of Afrikaans uh, pilots and a feature and stuff, and I realized that if you limit yourself to Afrikaans, what you have is you've got a single person you can sell it to, and mm-hmm. if they don't like it or don't want it for whatever the reasons. Then you're just dead in the water. It's like, who else are you going to sell it to yeah. if Cakenet doesn't want it? So I'd written these things and like gotten feedback from commissioning editors like, wow, this was really well written. Unfortunately, it's not what we kind of doing right now, mm. um, which is understandable. I mean, they know their target market and everything. But but I realized that, oh, so unless you hit that whatever the bullseye is that Cakenet yeah. wants, that's it. Like It's like, okay, try again. Um, so I decided I wanted to do something English and this idea had just sort of stuck with me. Um, just this image of, of this, this daughter and the father in like in the Karua yeah. fighting to survive. And so I just, I asked, I asked Leon, uh, Hey man, is it okay if I just take this and sort of run with it and see where it goes? And he graciously said, yeah. And I started writing it and I obviously I, I sort of stripped the stripped the more tribalist Africana angle out of it just to make it a bit more international so the whole idea of the film is it could be taking place anywhere and nowhere mm-hmm. um, it's not very specifically geographically bound uh, which which was very much an idea that we like actively pursued um, we'd have like those American type shovels with a with a with a arrow point and without the back thing, um, oh, yeah. next to normal shovels that you'd usually have in South Africa and stuff, just to like sort of confuse yeah. the geography of it all. Um, 
Like specifically non-specific. Specifically non-specific. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so the idea was that this is just like this is almost uh, it's almost mythical in that it's it's this it's this anywhere and nowhere kind of thing. Um, but I so I started writing and I got really intrigued about this idea of this woman who's in this place and it's like a it's like seeing a prison door like slowly close and all she can do is watch it close on her and and have that kind of slow revelation of uh uh no this is not what i want uh okay it's getting worse uh and then having to having to do something about it it really intrigued me yeah. and uh, so yeah so i started writing and i mean i am a very slow writer so i i wrote the first draft in like 2017 in december or something but I kept twiddling at it. I rewrote the feature for Daryl Root in that time. So, so there's lots of other jobs that came mm. in between. You know, I worked yeah, on a couple of features and stuff. And then uh, in 20, 2019, um, I sent it to Daryl Root, who I work with uh, a lot. And uh, he really liked it. So he, he, just, he just told me, hey, I'm sending it to Greg, okay? And Greg Buckle is this producer who has done a ton of stuff in South Africa. Yeah. And he was working with Daryl on another movie at the time. So Daryl just sent my screenplay. And Greg oh. apparently saw something in it. We rewrote for another couple of months. And then um, Anand Singh and them from Video Vision came on board. Yeah. And they agreed to fund it. And then, yeah. And then it was like this whirlwind of... Like, it's, it's a slow slog, slow slog, slow slog. Okay, we shoot in five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so, um, yeah. Wow. That's intense. So what happened? You said that you rewrote it as soon as you got interest on it. Well, what were those sort of considerations? What had to sort of change from that script you had written that got interest to... Because uh, we've been, we've recently sort of encountered studio notes for the same, for the first time uh, on an edit, um, and we found it a really like interesting process. We thought there's always this like expectation of like our oh, studio notes are going to be like the worst or whatever, <laughs> but that was actually amazing getting like uh, like six different views on it all Ooh, at all the same time, um, and we ended up in a really it's like it was a really healthy process actually. So what was that process like of like having to change to shoot? <laughs> uh, the rewriting process is a bizarre one to me. It's a bit like the five stages of grief. Every time I get notes, I'm like, what is this shit? You know, blah, 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 sort of defensive and angry and you go around and you're like, okay, let's look at it again. You're like, okay, maybe they've got a point there. Okay, that's, that's, not, that's not a terrible <laughs> note. Yeah, okay, I can change that. Yeah, sure. And then later you're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is actually good. If I do this, then I have to change that. And then that, and then it's going to be better because this just meshes better. And um, so, I mean, a lot of the time, there are a lot of things that people do want to take into consideration, right? So when you get people like Anat Singh and Video Vision who, who know the distribution and what it takes to sell movies, like they know that stuff inside out. They've been doing it forever. They, they, there's a certain amount of stuff where they're like, hey, we think it would be it would sell best if it has an R rating, or if it doesn't have it, you know, if it's PG thirteen or whatever, and and then according to those things, 
you tweak some stuff. They they are obvious story things. Um, they they had a lot of input around around the the actual like tension arc of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so so it's, I mean it, it, it's similar to getting notes from anybody else. It's just that uh, obviously when these when when people give you money, you sort of listen a bit harder. Um, <laughs> but but in all in all, it was. A, it was a very positive process. We could discuss the notes that I didn't dis- that I didn't agree with, mm. um, and and they were always willing to talk about it. And in the end, what you do is you sort of find a middle ground. You sort of figure out a way to, to include what it is that is actually bothering people, because often mm. it's not the note; it's not underneath the note. I see. Um, it might be that you know I, I feel like in this scene, this character doesn't really make sense. They just react weirdly. And then you realize, oh, but this is not the problem. The problem is I needed to have planted right in the beginning that this is a thing that this character might do. I see. And then suddenly it's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, now it's a plant and a payoff. Now it's not just like this thing that happens, happens. that's sort of bizarre. So having outside like eyes for that kind of stuff is always absolutely incredibly important. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went through two weeks at Leon Gerber's house uh, the editor and we we went for a deep dive and he like he gave notes and and we worked on the dialogue together so so th- there are many cooks that make up a movie and i mean even before you start writing a camera yeah. um the writing process has never for me been the solitary kind of uh, charlie kaufman-esque you yeah, know, like he's written it. It's written. like, yes, I'm writing it, and this is it. It's perfect now. And which, by the way, I'm sure yeah. even Charlie Kaufman doesn't do it that way. It's this is just the idea of it. Yeah. Um, like, it, it's never been that for me. I've always written with my wife, um, who has this incredible grasp of story. So she's always my first reader. She, she's, she's the person that I sit. We go eat pizza. And then have a glass of wine, and then just sit and break story together. Oh, that's cool. And there's this, um, and and that's where most of the stories come from is us like sort of struggling with it and having issues and being like, no, no, but that won't work because this. And then we figure it out, um, and then only do I go and write it. And then once it's written, she reads it again, and we go through it again, and then I should give it to other friends. Yeah. So it, there's never this this monolithic moment of creation. It's always yeah. this thing where other people are in, and it's messy, and it's. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah, very actually cool. Yeah. A lot similar to our process. Like we've yeah. also never found, never been that like that sort of solitary. But also we co-writers, so yeah. we've never had the opportunity to. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've written stuff by myself, and it's always been a f- far worse process. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's worse, man. I mean, look, I I, th- I write everything myself. Then I rewrite with other people in general. But that's the thing. If if I had to just sit there and hit my head against the wall until it's good, I, it would take my a lifetime. But the moment someone else comes in and they're like, "Oh yeah, but this character doesn't read well for me," or "What if we just What if we just kill everyone at the end?" You know, um, <laughs> then then suddenly you're like, "Oh yes," oh, and it breaks you because the the harder the more you write, the more you've got these blinkers that sort of just and other people coming in and going, hey, hey, dude, did you see that thing there? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how you write without it. Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. I yeah, mean, I, I think 
our channel members know we've made, well, we released 12 films last year and all of them were co-written co they were made by us together and yeah. then with all the other people who also give their input and there's just no way that we would have been able to do that like you say because right trying to make something perfect by yourself is only going to be perfect to you and nobody else and what what are you making the art for it also just sounds less you know? fun yeah <laughs> to be honest like why would you why would you take film the most collaborative art form and then just make it this solitary boring experience you know what i mean i, I can I, I, and i can't make anything that's perfect for me everything i've ever written i've been like ah it was so cool in my head man I, we need to make this better and yeah. what the only way i know of to make it better is to get outside people in so so yeah i, I don't even know about like I, I don't know how people freaking do it my grandfather used to write like that he used to like my grandmother ne never read the stuff he wrote while i was writing yeah. it and it can just, we can we talk about your granddad for a second? so my granddad is uh Pierre Duplessis who is uh, uh, an award-winning writer of everything the in South um, Africa <laughs> in South Africa yes yeah, so so he yeah. was he was a household name he was um he was personally also a celebrity because he was on television like he had these talk show things that he did but he was an incredible writer mm -hmm. um I, I it was so there were a couple of times when I sat around the kitchen table on the farm talking story with him like late at night. Yeah, yeah. And it was always the most frustrating experience in the world because I'd come with this idea and then he'd go, he'd go oh, that's a cool idea. What if, and then tell you, tell you this perfect story. And I'm like, oh, my story went there and it's, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> And he was just, it was just incredible. Uh, and like the, the, the way, cause, cause I mean, the plotting of his things were always like really good. He used to just write alone. And then, I mean, obviously, obviously I got to know him at the, the tail end of his career when he had so much respect that nobody dared countermand him. Um, so maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's a function of that, but he always just wrote the things and then basically sent them in and everyone's like, yeah, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you some money, go make yeah, it. Yeah. Like he never showed it to my grandma. He didn't like, I, I don't know how the heck you do that. How do you write something that's that good just on your own? It's just, no, that's incredible. How does that sort of, I mean, I think this is a bit of a tangent, but how does that sort of like you following in his footsteps kind of thing, right? Do you ever feel pressure? to like live up to him or how how's that for you I, I used to feel a lot more pressure um i used to i used to have this idea it's it's based on the romanticism that young people have young people <laughs> like this old guy it's like the romanticism that young people have around the things that they then choose to do yeah, when, when, I, when I decided, uh, I studied journalism, I never studied film. And then I decided that I wanted to become a filmmaker. And immediately you have this kind of thing like, oh, oh wait, but that's what grandpa, like he, he wrote a ton of really iconic things. And immediately you sort of have this, this, this specter looming over you. But, but I don't really think that actually exists. Mm. 
there's there's no shadow. He he the the only shadow he casts is in the like popular consciousness, mm. and and that's not gonna that's not ever gonna be a detriment to me. Maybe maybe on the first thing you make is stuff people will be like, oh look, it's 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 Pierre's grandson, and yeah. and make a thing of it. And then they're going to forget about it and you're just going to be another guy yeah, doing these things. Yeah. yeah, it's um I used to I it's only with this movie that we that I decided to be Peter Duplessis. Um because mm. I I I did arts under the under the nom de plume of uh, Pierre de Jonge. Okay. Um, as a sort of as an homage but okay. also as a way to 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 not be because I've got the same name. So I couldn't okay. be Pechia, yeah. and I couldn't be Peter Gia Duplessis sounds... Uh, so, and Peter Duplessis is the most common name in the universe um, in South Africa, in South not, not in the universe. Um, and so I thought, no, 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 I need to sort of break away and make my own brand and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I just realized this is, this is a, a weird kind of hubris. It's mm. like, like what, who do I think I am? Am I going to be like, <laughs> oh, my grandpa's going to hold me back or something? I don't know, man. It's a, it's an affectation. Yeah. It's a, that's very cool. Yeah. No, that's very cool. I, like even people like Emma Stone, her, her real name is Emily Stone, but she changed it to Emma because I think at that point there was too many Emilys and now, now look, there's too many Emmas. But I think that's very cool that you now decide to stick to your, like, your name, right? Because it's like other people can have these expectations of you, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's who, what you want to do is what you're going to do. And what makes you happy is the most important thing. So I think that's very inspiring of you to say, you know, like, never mind who my granddad was, I am me. And I'm going to do my thing my way. I, I, that's Dude, cool. and if they compare me to him... That's freaking great, dude. I I love the old man and I miss him daily. And like, if they want to compare me to him, go ahead. I mean, I will never live up to that in my mind. And that's okay. It's at a certain point, it becomes a thing of like, this guy is such a huge um, example in my life that, that I will never live up to him. And there's freedom in that. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I, I maybe one day I will, but it doesn't feel like I ever will. And that's, okay. and that's great. And that's okay. So it reminds me of um, Sophia Coppola as well. Like, oh, talk about living <laughs> up to your family, eh? But then I always find that it's always like the, 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 sort of the terrible articles that sort of want a headline that are still comparing. <laughs> but in my mind, they're, they're so different. Like yeah. She's able to not even try and live up, but go off and her own direction to the point where I, I sometimes remind myself like, oh, they're <laughs> father and their father and yeah. daughter yeah. when there's like pictures of them together. But yeah, it's almost like you don't actually have to live under the, the shadow because you can just be your own. No, be your own. If, if at this point you're still comparing her to her father in anything other than we're comparing these two filmmakers, like mm, after... Yeah. All the things she's done, the really great work she's created. Like if you are still going, oh, that's Francis's daughter. <laughs> like, like what the hell are you doing, man? Like th- then it becomes some weird misogynist thing, I think. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then it becomes like, oh, female filmmaker. Let's com- Let's let's yeah, always. Yeah. It's always about who the guy was and the. I don't know, mm. but but yeah, like and that's the thing. She she's made a uh, she's made a 
lot of stuff already now. She's made a couple of really great stuff. And, and now she's her own thing. I think let's let's uh, get back onto your film. We haven't even said the title. Of your oh, film. oh! The title of the film is it's called Dust. Um, and boy, was there a lot of dust. Um, <laughs> we'll put the trailer in the description below. Rock and roll, thank you. What was sort of like? So you said from like being greenlit to production was five weeks, right? Once again, I'm bad with timelines, so it was probably not five weeks. It was okay. probably longer. Um, okay. There was so so once I got the go ahead, I started location scouting. Yeah. Um, because when you make a micro budget movie, if you're the director and writer, you will also be the location scout. <laughs> there isn't that like I've never yeah. heard Daryl Ruud still does most of his own location scouting. You know, it's it's the way these things go in this country. So I literally drew a circle around my house that's about an hour's drive and I drove everything in that whole radius all the way to Heidelberg, um, all the way like past Krugersdorp, Whoa. all the way up to freaking Pretoria and places that I've never known existed um, in this horrifying quest to find a location for my movie. because. Okay, so I'm gonna. I wanna. This is my first movie, so we wanna be able to make it pretty cheaply. Uh-huh. So we make it a single location. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so I write single location. And as I write, I'm like, okay, so this location is like this farmhouse. Great. Okay, so farmhouse, beautiful. Uh-huh. And obviously, because it's a farmhouse, there's fields and there's a barn. And there's. And then once you get there, you're like, oh crap, I created something so specific here. <laughs> That uh, to actually to actually find this place because now it ha- it's, it's post-apocalyptic, so now we have to have a dilapidated farmhouse oh, right. with a dilapidated barn with fields that look like crap. <laughs> it, so initially, I wanted to do this in the Karua, but the Karua was ex- like ten becomes exorbitantly expensive because it's an away shoot yeah. for everybody. everybody. Uh, so it becomes prohibitive very quickly. But then Daryl, actually, he, he took me, he, he just said, dude, don't worry. You can shoot it here in Joburg. And I was like, no, but okay. it's not, it's like, it's not desert. It's too, it's too planty. It's not yeah, yeah. post-apocalyptic enough and stuff. And Daryl was just like, no, 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 just come with me and we'll take a drive. And he drove me up there to Mulder's Drift to this place that he'd been to before to look for another movie. And, and it was just this wonderful thing where... Where there are plants, but it's bleak. <laughs> it's like when you shoot in the like at the end of winter here in Joburg, everything's yeah. brown. It's just blackjacks and cocky balls everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like there's there's something delightfully post-apocalyptic about it in a way that feels more real than just having everything be the wide open Karua. Yeah. You know, because because I mean we've seen a lot of the wide open Karua kind of post apocalypses. Yeah. And and it's it's they're all a bit fantastical because it's always like, oh yeah, there just happens to be a lot of water here. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um but but suddenly this is like, oh yeah, yeah, this this looks it looks still looks dry. Um, and they're all like plants and things that are struggling, but they, they look like they're struggling. Yeah, but there's so, enough for them to try. Yeah, so you can think that, okay, so you could theoretically grow things here. It's mm-hmm. not like trying to grow crops in the middle of the desert yeah. with no water. <laughs> so you could theoretically grow things here, but it's going to be hell. 
and then just have them be like oh yeah but but this this farm's here because there's actually water mm. and then you know so so it just sort of makes everything a bit more believable i think mm. and there is a delightful bleakness that you get from high felt winter um that you it's like there's almost hope <laughs> yeah, almost. Like, yeah, but the hope is but the hope is gross, man. It's like like it's like they are plants, but it's like weeds. It's like 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 those blackjacks that just like it's, it's yeah, it, they yeah. stick to everything, but they also like when they because in the summer blackjacks are green and red and kind of nice, and then in winter they dry completely, and it's these shriveled stalks that just stand yeah. there with these spiky um, yeah. seeds on them. So yeah, so um. I was driving, trying to look for a location in this area after Daryl had showed me that, hey, you can make it here. Mm. <laughs> I, I was, after I think two and a half weeks of looking, I came home just one day and I just had a like freaking panic attack on the couch because um, I didn't have a location and we were, and that, at that point we were shooting in five weeks. Um, and I just I, I was I like I'd find something that we can sort of make work and uh, I, I I found this one farm uh, that while Daryl and I were driving we just went up this random road and we got to this farm and the door was ugh, the gate was locked and we couldn't get in and we just stood there hollered for a bit and then we're like okay well this isn't gonna work and just as we were climbing to drive out another car came and pulled up and they opened for us and we thought oh maybe we can shoot the exteriors here yeah. and do the interiors in the other place um because there wasn't really a place to do the interiors there um so once we were about four weeks or three weeks four weeks i think from from cameras rolling yeah. uh i just went and showed greg because at this point he'd flown up from cape town yeah um i showed greg the place and the farmer had mentioned something about another house on the okay. on the farm, and but but he said it's, it's real difficult to get there. So I was just like, no, we can't. We we don't have four by fours. We mm. can't. And I was like, how difficult is it to get there? So we took my polo and we drove it, and it wasn't that bad. I don't know what the farmer. <laughs> and suddenly we have this house. Like there's this house on this farm, and it's 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 an hour's drive from my house. So it's like. It, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't destroy our budget with overtime and with yeah. um, the, the amount of petrol we'd be using and stuff like that and and suddenly there's just this location and it's there and it's like oh, <laughs> yes and because of other things so I, I shot arts with this wonderful DOP called Dino Benedetti and we were just like yeah man we're gonna make this we're gonna do this thing and then because the movie got moved up, it clashed with another big project that he'd already uh, confirmed on. So suddenly I lost my DOP like three weeks before shooting as well. So there the, were all these things that just like, it just piled on and I was just like, oh, good. He I could just feel everything falling apart. And it was just the worst thing ever. Uh, I, I, I do rock climbing. So I, in rock climbing, I met, I met a producer um, at Quizzical mm -hmm. and, uh, I was just like, dude, my DOP, I just lost him. Do you know of anyone who's really keen? Because, who, I mean, it's a micro-budget movie. This, this is yeah. not going to be... We're not going to give you ad rates, guys. Um, yeah. so, so everybody who worked on this thing worked for like a fraction of their rates. Mm -hmm. um, and it's incredible. Like the amount of buy-in I got and the amount of just like people going, being like, dude, it's fine. It's fine. We love it. We'll do it. 
um, was incredible. And then um, he actually said, well, there was this, this one DOP who I spoke to who said he really wants to do features because he does mostly commercials mm-hmm. um, called Thomas Revington. Yeah. And I, um, so I just contacted the dude <laughs> and I said, hello, so we're making this movie and I sort of need a DOP and, um, and, and oh yeah, I'm not going to pay you your rates. Oh, do you, no, 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 it was, it was better, man. Like Tom, he came in and he said, okay, it's fine. I'll forego more, more of my rates so you can pay the guys in my team more. Really? Yeah, dude. Oh man, what a guy, dude. This is wow. like, um, so I, I got so lucky with Tom and uh, working with him was just absolutely incredible. It's, it's what you always look for, right? Yeah. You, you want somebody who, who sort of comes from the same place as you. Like immediately he was like, okay, okay, so this this one scene, so I was thinking like Blade Runner 2049, I'm like, yes, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> um, just for the interiors, like as a reference for inside the house, like make the make the walls darker, make everything yeah. like, and, and and we just immediately clicked, like all the references. Oh. I was like, so I was thinking like no country for old men outside. And, yeah. and he was like, yeah, 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 that's wonderful. And he already, he made some LUTs that like, like, um, so so while we're shooting, we can put the no country for old men on and be like, hmm, yeah, that looks, that looks cool. Okay. Um, so it's, it's just so cool. I, I lucked out really hard. Um, with with like so many of the people that worked on this it was incredible wow so you're, you're shooting it just to talk about locations again briefly is sort of like a two-part question i guess is like with this location did you still have to adapt some things that were in the script um and then also just how, how was shooting it well what was what was, what was it like? What was production like? Um, so yeah, yeah, no, we had to change a lot of things. Um, so so I had to go back to the script and plot out the way you'd move from one room to the next because it's at one point that's very important. The actual house itself wasn't nearly dilapidated enough. Uh, we had to bring in a lot of once again, which once again you think, oh yes, 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 we make a single single location film, and then you go. But it's post-apocalyptic. <laughs> so everything has to be broken or old or, you know. <sighs> anyway, so, so we had to change a lot of the house to fit with the uh, script. And we had to change little bits of the script to fit with the house. Like, mm. oh, you go in through the window. But suddenly you're like, I can't go in through the window because there are burglar bar things welded onto the window. So we're like, okay, so... <laughs> Ah, we have to retool this whole thing. Yeah. So yeah, they they always, but I've never I've never really encountered it where you get to a set and you're just like, yeah. Yes, yes, this is exactly what I need. <laughs> Nothing needs to change. <laughs> and then and then what's production like? So uh, production was the best time of my life. It's there was just oh dude, the actors I worked with were so great. It's we 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 got um, our leaders Shauna Mans. I met her and uh, Danielle the Friday before we rolled on the Monday. Whoa. Um, <laughs> and it's always this thing, you know, you want to build a rapport, you want to... Yeah, yeah. And there's like, okay, okay, so I'm just going to take them out to dinner just to, to show them that I'm not like some weirdo. I mean, <laughs> as far as I can. And, um, and, and just try and try and make friends. And immediately I just... Got, got along with them. It was just like like so delightful. 
Um, and everybody, I, I had Gustav Gardner who played um, one of the leads in arts back and he's always just so great to work with and Kaz McFadden was there and like just if you want to have fun on set just get Kaz in there like it's it's just so great and and Michelle and everybody everybody just came there and they brought this wonderful attitude Mm -hmm. and uh stuff happens you you get there and you're like oh crikey this does not work at all we thought it would work um and it doesn't and you make a plan um and that was that was that was part of the joy is like I had I had such a such a strong couple of collaborators there and everyone was just like jump in do stuff so because we don't have money we have a light and two LED tubes uh do we have another light we might have like yeah my whole movie except the night exteriors the night exteriors we got in two Two sort of 2.5k kind of things. Just, you know, so you can... Just something. So it's not like this spotlight in the middle of nothing. Everyone's like, where's all this light coming from? Why is it not on the back of the trees? Um, but but the whole movie was basically lit with with two two LED tubes and two lights. Wow. And it looks so good. Wow. It's just... Ab- I'm yeah. so excited to see this Oof. movie. Oof, yeah. Awesome. Let's move on just a little bit. Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Great. This is all really good stuff. I, I'm really enjoying listening because... Obviously, we haven't made a feature yet, so it's like, oh, this is like, it's it sounds tough, but it sounds fun. These are the problems that I would like yeah. to have, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. But you finished the film, right? You went into post. Um, I don't, I don't know if we have time to talk about all of post. I'm sure that was its own whole thing. <laughs> but okay, so you went into post, you finished the film, and then you submitted it to festivals. And then, like we said earlier, the whole COVID thing happened. Yeah, you know, the little little problem. <laughs> what? How's life been since? What is sort of happening with the film at the moment? Uh, so the plan in general was firstly to wait until festivals happen again. Because mm-hmm. we did go to a couple of, of these online festivals. But the, the like virtual attendance isn't great. Because if you watch a movie on your laptop at home... You go and you're like 10 minutes in, you're not super invested and you close it down yeah. and you leave and whatever. Whereas if you go to a festival and you're like, okay, I'm going to watch movies like the whole day. Yeah. And you're sitting there and you're going to watch the whole of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what you get is attendance is horrifyingly bad. And there's not a lot that comes, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't get a lot of interest in things from like these online fest. Well, the, the, the few that we entered, we didn't enter a lot because... In the end, it turned out like, ah, we don't think this online festival thing really works. Mm. Um, especially not for something that's like the slow burn. That's uh, you, you sort of want people to sit there and go like, okay, 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 what, what am I watching? Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's slow and it's odd. And then you're like, oh, 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 the, oh, this is where it's going. Yeah. So the, the, the plan is to basically, I think, <laughs> wait until America is vaccinated <laughs> and people go to cinemas and things again and then just target some sci-fi festivals mm. and, and see if we can, can get, a, get a sale there. Okay, amazing. Well, I hope that it happens quick. I hope that you get into all the festivals that you need to get into because I really want to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to see the movie. Um, for now, the trailer is linked in the description. So if you guys want to go check that out along, um, can people contact you, maybe follow you on Instagram, that kind of thing? Sure, I am at Piegie de Jonge, so it's P-G-D-E-J-O-N-G-E. 
It'll also be linked in the description. I, I, I'm that on Twitter as well. If you if you want the same same handle. Tweet. Yeah, de Jonge. It's it's kind of a nice one because no one ever has that for some reason. Yeah, yeah. People can contact me. I'm you know I'm always keen to do stuff. Um, I'm you know writing. I'm writing two screenplays right now. You know, try and get the next one made um, while just. just staying afloat in the South African film industry. Yeah, like all of us. <laughs>
So it's really cool to like just listen and because I don't I don't think we said a lot of things in this podcast. But thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast and you'd like to watch the video version, head over to youtube.com forward slash Luke Pictures and uh, maybe consider subscribing as well. We also have a recent membership program that we've set up over on YouTube. And until next time, go out there, stay safe and make your movie.